summer. Um, and now that we're enjoying our Indian summer, they call it, um, just about finished. In fact, this morning, going to finish up our series. We're in Ephesians 6, uh, verse 21 through 24, the last four verses of this series. Uh, we've been uh, calling this series At War, talking about the battle we're in. <laughs> in this world, we live in a spiritual battle, not just a physical world. Of course, there's a lot going on all around us. We're aware of it, but we've talked about how God has armed us he armed us with a new identity in Christ. How many are a new creation in Christ Jesus? Old things have passed away. We're born again. I love the song we just sang, I'm a child of God, and we talked about that. We talked about armed with unity and how much do we need unity in Jesus Christ in the day we live. We talked about that. We talked about grace, armed with grace. It's by grace we're saved. Not anything we've done, but by grace we're saved through faith. That not of ourselves, that's a gift of God. We talked about being armed with love, new purpose, partnership in our marriages or in our families. We talked about armed with God's mighty power. Could we say that together? Armed with God's mighty power. The last couple of weeks, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power, uh, putting on the full armor of God. And this morning, I'm going to conclude this series with armed with a mission. And in order to do that, I'm going to start out with a story. Uh, it's my, probably my, one of my all-time favorites. I have so many. I, but anyway, this is one of my all-time favorites. Told by a man named uh, Richard Massey. He's a Christian author, wrote back in the 1980s, 90s, and the early 2000s. Uh, one day, he's walking down the street in his hometown, it's a kind of a miserable, cold, wet, rainy sleet. I don't, you know, that icy rain pelts you. Uh, it's sleeting, so his head's down. And as he's walking along the sidewalk, he sees a wallet. So, like you or me, he picks it up and he checks the inside, like you would do or I would do, see if there's any money. <laughs> uh, one time I was in a restroom in Los Angeles and. I found a money belt on the floor, and I opened it up, and it was f full of $100 bills. Full. I didn't know what to do with it, <laughs> but I didn't want it. <laughs> and I waited there and looked all around, hoping this man would come back and find it. Of course, he didn't come back, so I ran right before my plane and gave it to security. He said, please do something with this. I don't want it. And uh, anyway, some of you are looking at him, really? <laughs> I'm sure slow, but I'm not very good. Anyway, um, so he looks inside, and actually he's looking for ID to see if maybe he could find out who it belonged to, and three bucks, no ID, but there's this letter inside, and it's old. It's been in this wallet for a, for a long time, and he opens it up thinking maybe there's some kind of identification on it, and he starts to read it, and he realizes it's a Dear John letter. It's addressed to a man named Michael Goldstein, and it's from a woman named Hannah. And uh, uh, let me read what it says. Uh, um, let me see, I'm getting ahead of myself. It says, Dear Michael, I love you. I will always love you. But my parents forbid me to see you anymore. This letter will be our last contact Love always, Hannah. 
It was dated in 1924. Okay, so this letter is over 60 years old. And this man has been carrying this letter in his wallet for over 60 years. It's obviously a, a prized possession. And he's thinking, I gotta find this guy. And this is his prized possession. I gotta give him back his, his wallet. Now, unfortunately, there wasn't an address for, uh, for uh, Michael Goldstein was his name. But there was a dress for Hannah. How many remember back when you learned to write a letter about the third or fourth grade? This is, this is snail mail. But there was a left-hand corner. There was an address. Remember, you put the return address on it. So it had her name and an address. And he thought, well, maybe if I find her, I can find uh, Michael Goldstein. So he called the operator. Does anyone remember when there used to be an operator? <laughs> okay, someone answered the phone. There was a person there. There wasn't a record, dial again, you know, there wasn't, and you got to talk to them. So he, he explained that he had found this wallet, there was this letter, and he's trying to find the owner, and, and there was a letter of the person, address of the person who owned it, and, and could, could he maybe give that phone number so he could contact and see if he, they knew where this person was and the woman said, of course not, we can't do that. But he said, here's what I, she said, here's what I can do. We, we, I will call and see if they will allow me to connect you with them. Remember when they did on that, that on the phone? They used to connect? Yeah, some of you are as old as me. But anyway, well, you're hoping not. But um, so, sure enough, they said yes. And Michael got to talk to the new owner of the home. They said, no, Hannah doesn't live anymore. But we bought this house from Hannah's mom uh, several years ago. And then they said, but Hannah is still alive, and she lives in this nursing home. And gave him the name. So, so he went to the nursing home and talked to the lady, told the story. And she said, well, yes, Hannah lives here. She's up on the eighth floor. Could you give me her number so I could go up and see her? She said, of course not. But I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll, I'll have a nurse accompany you, and she'll take you up there. So he got to go up there, and when, she, when he got up there, they, he could hear the TV uh, playing in the background. So um, he knew she was there, knocked on the door, and sure enough, uh, Hannah answered the door. Uh, Are you Hannah? He asked, and of course she said yes. And He said, I have a letter to Michael Goldstein that you wrote over 60 years ago. I found it in his wallet. She said, oh, Michael Goldstein. No one ever matched up to him. I never married because no one could compare to him. <laughs> you know, Richard Massey just, you know, kind of doesn't know what to say. She said, do you know where he is? And Richard said, no, that's why I'm here. <laughs> I'm trying to find him. She said, I, I haven't seen him in 60 years. They talked a little more. And, uh, and then, uh, of course, Richard left with the nurse. They went back to the elevator. And uh, there was an elevator attendant. And uh, they were riding down the elevator. And he was still holding the wallet. And the elevator attendant said, oh, nice wallet. And Michael, excuse me, Richard Massey says, thank you, I." I found it. And so the attendant looked at it closer. He said, that's Michael Goldstein's wallet. This is a true story. 
And Richard looked at him, you know Michael Goldstein? Yeah, he lives on the third floor. <laughs> Could you take him? Take me to him. And so uh, the nurse and Richard Massey and uh, the, the elevator attendant went to Michael Goldstein's door and knock on the door. Are you Michael Goldstein? He says, yes. Do you know a woman named Hannah? <laughs> oh, Hannah. She was the only woman I ever loved. I met her when she was 16, but her parents forbid us to see each other anymore. He said, I never married because no one could compare to her. <laughs> you know, uh, Richard Massey's kind of trying to hold it back. He says, well, I, uh, he said, I'm sorry to impose. I found your wallet, but there was no identification inside. But there was this letter, and I apologize. I opened it up, and I, I, read, I read your letter. He said, I wanted to find an address to somehow be able to return the wallet to you, and it wasn't on it. But there was an address for Hannah. And I went to her house, and, and Michael lit up, and, and he said, does she still live there? He said, I would love to see her. He said, no. But follow me. <laughs> and so now the nurse and uh, Richard Massey and the elevator attendant, now Michael Goldstein, they all go up to the eighth floor and they knock on the door. And Hannah comes to the door. And of course, she's shocked. She says, Michael. And is that you? Because, you know, you look a little older after six. Is that you? <laughs> Not sure how he looked or anything. Is that you? And and he said, Hannah. And they hugged each other. Now the nurse is crying. And the elevator attendant is crying. And Richard Massey is crying. And of course, uh, Michael and Hannah begin to cry. Two weeks later, uh, Richard got a phone call from Michael uh, to say that he and Hannah were getting married. And they asked him if he would be willing to be the best man. Are you a softy like I am for a romantic story? Reconciliation is such a powerful thing. And I want you to know, that's what the gospel of Jesus Christ is all about. You see, we were all lost and separated from God, and had no idea how to get back to Him. You know, Christian science won't take you there. Uh, New Age won't take you there. God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And I want you to know, Jesus left the 99 to find you. He loves you. God is a romantic. I'm sorry, but it's true. The gospel of Jesus Christ is a love story. And of course, we forget that. We get caught up in theology and doctrine and what's going on in the world around us. And every one of us here this morning are part of a love story. God loved us. And he sought to find us. 
Through the power of the Holy Spirit, the Bible says only the Spirit can draw us back to the Father. And if you're here and you know Jesus, it's because the Father has drawn you back to him. He was searching for you. And he found you. He knocked on your heart, so to speak. And of course, he's drawn you back to himself. He wants a relationship with us. And maybe you're here today and, and uh, maybe you grew up in church, but it's been a long time. Or maybe you attend church sometimes. Or maybe just the, the seemingly crisis we're going through in society right now is making you think, there's got to be more to life than this. Uh, I want you to know that Jesus is the one knocking on your heart and he's the one drawing uh, you back to him. And Janine, I want you to come up because... Uh, Janelle, sorry. Uh, you know, the Lord gave her a word and she came up and shared it with me. And I have an application for it, Janelle. So uh, uh, go ahead and share what you saw. Well, I saw a picture while we were worshiping. And I want you to um, imagine how quiet this was. There was no crying. It was just so quiet and so intimate. And what I saw was a picture of a little girl sitting on her daddy's lap. And he was just lightly brushing her hair. And I noticed her knees were very, very um, bruised and bloody, which meant she had fallen down. So when uh, Janelle shared that picture with me, I knew it was the Lord. Because when I... I was up in the upper parking lot before church and I was praying for this service and I saw a woman walk in. And I knew in my spirit that God was drawing her back to him. And I, I don't know who you are, it doesn't really matter, but I, I know that you need to hear the Lord sees you today and you've been through some things in your life and he is drawing you back into relationship with you this morning. You have fallen down, you've been bruised, but how many know the Lord still loves us? Hallelujah. His faithful love. His faithful love, and I want you to know that he brought you here so that your relationship with him could be restored as you turn to put your faith in Jesus Christ. Just trust him. He loves you. And the Bible says all who call upon the name of the Lord uh, will be saved. And uh, we say yes and amen. Could we say yes and amen together? Yes and amen. Trust him with your life. That's what the Lord told me to tell you. Trust him with your life. He's got a future. He's got a hope for you. Trust him with your life. Now, reconciliation is what the gospel of Jesus Christ is all about. And God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18, God was reconciling the world to himself through Christ. And he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. And if you jump down to verse 20, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 20, it says, God is imploring the world through us. 
be reconciled to God. Could we say that together? Be reconciled to God. Would you tell your neighbor that? Be reconciled to God. God is sending that message through us. He's sending that message through us. Be reconciled to God. God has a work for us to do. And that's why I want to talk about Armed with a Mission just a little bit this morning. The last couple weeks, we have been looking at Ephesians 6 about standing firm in God's mighty power, putting on the full armor of God. The, the, the letter to the Ephesians, uh, we said this weeks ago, but it's the high watermark of Revelation uh, in the New Testament, and that particular section that talks about spiritual battle, the battle that all of us are in, uh, is one of the most insightful and practical sections to help us see that we live in a spiritual realm and a spiritual world. And that there are forces that are fighting against your faith and fighting against the purpose of the church in this evil day and this dark hour uh, in our life. It's powerful. But can I tell you, behind the, the book of Ephesians is a love story. And sometimes when, the, when we read the Bible, we forget it's a love story. And behind the book of Ephesians is a love story. Did you know that the Apostle Paul was a man named Saul, and he was like way lost, okay? He, he was tied up in rules and religion and uh, rituals, and uh, to the point he was filled with hatred toward the Christians because of their faith in Jesus Christ, and he was persecuting them. He was having them arrested, and he wanted them to be killed. But God, in his love, one day on the road to Damascus, it's recorded in Acts chapter 9, one day in his love surrounded Paul, we know now the Apostle Paul, with blinding light. And Jesus spoke from heaven, Saul, Saul, that was his name at the time, why are you persecuting me? And thankfully, Paul was enough to look up and say, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. He was reconciled to God. He repented and he turned back to God and that relationship, he understood. He calls himself the chief of all sinners in the, in the, in the book of uh, First, the chief of all sinners. God reconciled him in his love and gave him the ministry of reconciliation and Paul dedicated his life to sharing the gospel and ministering reconciliation to every person uh, in fact, at the end of his life, he said, he said I, I go to heaven not ashamed. I have not held back one bit in my passion and in my effort to communicate God's love and the gospel to every person I've met. And of course, we know that uh, over half the New Testament are a result of his passion for others to be reconciled to God. And it's, of course, the reason why we have uh, the, the book of Ephesians. And now we come to the last four verses. And as he concludes this letter that we've been in all summer, um, he commends a man who's been part of the work with him, a man named Tychicus. Uh, he calls him a beloved brother and a faithful helper in the Lord's work. Let me read uh, beginning in verse 21. I'll read down through verse 24. Uh, Paul says, to bring you up to date, Tychicus, 
uh, will give you a full report about what I'm doing and how I'm getting along. The Apostle Paul was in jail in Rome, and of course he wrote this letter and sent it to him to encourage them, and they were concerned for him. So he said, don't be afraid. I, Tychicus is going to give you a full report how I'm doing. He is a beloved brother and a faithful helper in the Lord's work. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, to let you know how I am doing and to encourage you. Now, Tychicus actually... Uh, carried this letter uh, to the Ephesians physically. Back then, no mail service, okay? They didn't have uh, email, and uh, they didn't have delivery service. So literally, Paul wrote this letter on parchment, uh, uh, actually animal skin type of paper, and it's all rolled up. And he had to board a ship in Rome and, uh, of course, sail down underneath the boot in Italy over across... Uh, Mediterranean Sea to Ephesus, this port in, in Asia Minor. This man Tychicus, uh, Paul is introducing him here and said, saying he's a beloved brother and a faithful helper in the Lord's work. And actually there are about four different places in the New Testament where his name is mentioned in the book of Acts, uh, Colossians, and, and then in later I, th I think it's Timothy or Titus, obviously a dear friend of the Apostle Paul's. Verse 23, Peace be with you, Paul says, dear brothers and sisters, and may God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, give you love with faithfulness. Let me, let me read that again, because that's God's heart for everyone who's here today. Everyone who's part of the work. You know what I'm saying? How many know we're part of a work? God is at work. Ministry is a work. Sharing the gospel is a work. We're all part of that work. And Paul's prayer for them, let me read verse 23 again. Peace be with you, dear brothers and sisters. May God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, give you love with faithfulness. Not only love, but faithfulness. Faithfulness in the labor. Faithfulness in the work. Give you love with faithfulness. May God's grace be eternally upon all who love our Lord Jesus Christ. Could we all say amen to that? So let's talk a little bit about the Lord's work. Um, you know, I know sometimes when we watch the news or social media right now, we, we kind of feel like God is losing the battle. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> we kind of feel like Christianity is losing its influence in the world today. <laughs> you know, things are changing, by the way, rapidly. And I think we all know that. We, 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 we feel uh, the injustice of our day, almost like a like a, I don't know, smoke, dark cloud, something. There's just, there's just a heaviness as a result of it. Things are changing. But I want to declare, God is not losing. <laughs> Matthew 16, 18, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now let me say that again. I want you to feel Jesus' passion. This is just days before he would be crucified. I mean, when he was crucified, it looked like it was over. But Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell, the strategies, the manipulative scheming, the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. That's a promise for you. And it's a promise for us in the day we live. Could someone say hallelujah? I think we should just put your pin down and clap to the Lord and say thank you. So true. Amen. 
I will build my church in the gates of hell. The gates of hell will not stand against the strategies of hell. In other words, God's kingdom is on the offense. Satan is the one on the defense. Okay? And he says the strategies of hell, gates of hell, will not be able to hold back what I will do. Jesus is building his church. After that verse, he went on to say, and I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. We have work to do. We are part of the work. And of course, it's taken me a lifetime to understand the depth of what those keys are all about. But it's really true. There's something about our love. There's something about our prayer. There's something about our praises. We filled this house with praise on Friday night. There were about 120 of us worshiping and praying and interceding for God's moved by the power of the Holy Spirit. It was a powerful night. Was anyone here? Could you say amen with me? It was a powerful night. We were using the keys. The keys. The key. There's a key. We have a different kind of strategy for fighting in the day we live. We are the army who fights on its knees in worship and in prayer using the keys to the kingdom of heaven. I'm so thankful for that. We're part of God's story. And uh, by the way, we're all part of God's story. When I read those verses, I'm going to read them again to you. Um, because when I, when I read those verses, I thought of so many of you. And so let me read it again. It says in verse uh, 21 of Ephesians chapter 5, Paul says, to bring you up to date, Tychicus will give you a full report about what I'm doing and how I'm getting along. He is my beloved brother and faithful helper in the Lord's work. Could, could I just tell you how I appreciate all of you who are my beloved brothers, bro beloved sisters, and faithful helpers in the Lord's work. You're amazing. I, um, this morning is um, Cheryl and I's 34th anniversary here at Klamath Christian Center. Okay. And uh, hallelujah. We've been through a lot together, and I don't have any big slideshow or anything. I, I'm not that prepared. I'm never that prepared. Uh, but I do have a couple of pictures. Can I show them to you? Here is Cheryl and I. Uh, our, our first Easter here in, in Klamath Falls. And uh, isn't she cute? I don't know who the guy is next to her. Um, let, let's look at the next one. Here's our kids. And uh, this was the first Christmas uh, in the old building uh, when we, uh, shortly after we came here to Klamath Falls. Okay. Uh, she does. And she's, a, what happened to me? I mean, you know, man, I've been road hard and hung wet. Uh, but anyway, she's as beautiful as ever. Lord's done some amazing things over the last 34 years. And if I could take you just a couple of minutes to recount a few things. Um, you know, the first 
first effort outreach we ever did, a woman named Joyce Ditto uh, came up to me and, uh, and she said, Pastor, I want to feed the homeless. Could we feed the homeless here at our church on Friday afternoons? And Sure. I love outreach and I'd love to do that. And I looked into it and in order to get a license to do that, we had to buy this three compartment sink. It cost $800. Back then, our income was about six or seven and our budget was about 10. And I wasn't so sure we could afford it. But I made a decision that day, if God is in it, I'm going to do it. And we bought it. We started feeding for a couple of years. We started feeding people on Friday nights and the Lord blessed. We got to meet a lot of wonderful people who are kind of wandering through life in some ways, maybe struggling a little bit. We got to pray with a lot of them. Um, the next one was a bus ministry. Does anyone remember our bus ministry? Oh, John, you drove that bus so many times. Oh, man. So on a Sunday morning, I stood up and said, you know, God loves people. And I just think we need to start a bus ministry. We need to reach out to children in our community. How many think children are important? Yeah, so I, I said, you know, I had this fiery speech. I don't know what it was. But uh, uh, after the service, a man came up, gave me a check for $10,000. Said, buy a bus. Well, I bought two. You know, I'm a man of vision, okay? So I bought two. And we started an outreach to Mills School and outreach to Fairview. Some of you remember when Fairview School was operating down there. And we brought literally on Sunday mornings hundreds of kids to our church. Uh, there was, a, there was a, a, a couple, Wayne and Lisa Ritchie, who, <laughs> he was hilarious. He learned ventriloquism and all these, you know, magic tricks. He was Vulture the Mulcher or Mulcher the Vulture, something, I don't know. But anyway, we had a blast. It was a lot of fun. But the goal was not only to reach the kids, it was to reach the parents too. So we did all kinds of outreaches where we could invite the parents into our church. And it was crazy. People made, made food. And we had potlucks and it was insane. And then we started an, out, an outreach on Saturday nights. We did a Saturday night service. It was all designed for outreach. Man, we rocked the house. Uh, we, you know, our worship team was amazing and loud. And uh, we had an amazing time. Our church started to grow. Um, we had about three services pretty soon. And we actually went to four services for a while. And uh, I couldn't do that. I mean, I've, I was playing the guitar back then. Some of you remember I was trying to sing and lead worship and, and um, preach four times. And so we rented the Ross Ragland Theater. Does anyone remember when we went to Ross Ragland? For a year, we went to the Ross Ragland Theater every Sunday morning. Someone gave us this, it wasn't a U-Haul brand, but it was like a U-Haul truck. Someone gave it to us, and we loaded it up with all our children's ministry stuff, you know, our screens, video projectors, and we showed up at 6 o'clock in the morning at the Ross Ragland and put all that stuff up so we could have church about 9 o'clock. And we filled it up. In fact, there were times on Christmas Eve, we'd fill it twice. Or we'd fill on Easter twice. And we still had our Saturday night service. It was crazy. And so much fun. But boy, was it a lot of work. I'm so thankful for Tychicus, beloved brother in the Lord, 
and a faithful helper in the work. Ministry takes work, but God has called us to the work. Could someone say amen? He's called us to a work. He's given us gifts, talents, and abilities, and he's called us to the work. And it's amazing. You don't have to have anything but Jesus. I can't tell you how many people God raised up to do different things in the life of our church. People had never done anything. We had a gal who, who was a part of some productions at Ross Reagan Theater. So she started training people to do drama. We did illustrated sermons. It was, it was so fun. And people found out that they could be used by God. Clay Bynum, a brother in our church, uh, just had a heart for recovery. He had been an addict, drugs and alcohol, and he started Life Recovery Network, which you see now in our old building down on Crater Lake Parkway. And we, we were able to restart a Pregnancy Hope Center uh, who was, it was kind of floundering and we had a couple move to Klamath, uh, Vern and Judy Reynolds, who gifted leaders and pastors and they helped reignite that ministry, helped them form a financial base and of course we helped them a lot. But now they're in a nice new facility, they have an ultrasound machine. All these things that God did simply because people were willing to step out in faith and allow God to use them through the power of the Holy Spirit. You know in that section of scripture about reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world through Christ and he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. In that, read it, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter five, in that section, it says you're a new creation in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away and all things are new. And it gives us the idea that God can do more through us than we think. God can do more through us than we think. He has a heart of reconciliation and he's the one who's reconciling the world to himself and he's just asking us to step out in faith and allow us to, to use him. Uh, one night in a council meeting after we'd been at the Ross Ragland for about a year, I said, we can't do this anymore. This is just too much work and and uh, so one, I, I don't remember even who prayed it. I, I'd love to take credit for it. I just don't think I'm that smart. But um, anyway, uh, but someone prophesied, uh, Lord, if you, if you want us to build a building, give us a piece of property. And uh, some of you know, a couple years later, uh, after we'd gone back to our old building, a couple years later, I was out to lunch with Mel Stewart, who owns the, the, all the fourplexes down below us here, with his two sons, Gary and Matt, who attended the church. And we'd gone to lunch, and Mel asked me, uh, what are you guys gonna do for a facility? And I'm going, I don't know, you know. And he turned and he said, what if I gave you that piece of property? And that was this piece of property, it's 27 acres, and it was a gift from Matt and Gary and Mel, and of course the whole family, who were partners together in it, they gave us this property. So that was my fleece, but I'm Gideon, you know, I was still a big chicken and Alan knows what a chicken I am because I, I had him search all over Klamath County. Lord, are you sure? Is that the, should we build it? It was going to be expensive. This is not a cheap piece of property to build on. It took $2 million of site work and excavation to, to build on this site. And, and then there was a $5 million building that was going up. How many of you have that much faith? Well, I don't. 
I don't. But God does. You know, sometimes we don't have what it takes. Yeah, thank you. It's true. Sometimes we don't have, I don't have faith to forgive right now, Jesus. Jesus does. You know, following Jesus is about emptying you so that you can become who he's created you to be. That's, that's what following Jesus, you're a new creation for heaven's sakes. Who cares about who you were or what talents you thought you had or don't have? That isn't who we are anymore. I'm a child of God. Could someone say amen? It's mind-blowing that God would want to partner with us in a, mess, in a ministry of recrea- uh, uh, reconciliation to the world, that God would work through our prayers, that he'd work through our sharing in the schools with children, uh, with Child Evangelism Fellowship, just however we're doing. God is at work through our lives to draw people back to himself. Well, as you can see, we're in a building, so it must have worked. So I, I guess what I'm trying to say, I'm, I'm recounting a little bit of the faithfulness of the Lord. And, and the reason why I'm doing that is because uh, COVID has been a difficult season for me. I, I've, just, I've just been pressed and stretched and crushed in, in so many ways. I've seen the body of Christ divided. I've seen people come to church and when we ask them to put a mask on for their kids because we were concerned for safety and so forth and so on, I've seen them turn and walk out of the building. They don't want any part of that. And I'm, and I'm just, I, you know, I, it just grieved me. Not that I'm trying to support mask wearing. That's not the point. But I did, and I'm not saying I even let it well. Please understand. I'm not saying we should or shouldn't have worn masks. That's not my point. It just grieved me how fractured as a church we were becoming through all of this. And I've sorted through a lot of that now. And as you can see, we're giving people permission to not wear a mask or to wear a mask, hallelujah. And it's totally up to you. And we're going to walk through this together, trusting the Lord. We've had people in our church get COVID. And, and uh, some have been pretty sick. We have some sick right now and some recovering right now. And so that's part of the reality we're living right now. It's going to be with us for the, you know, I guess duration. But nevertheless, we're moving on and we're moving forward. And we're kind of trying to gain traction and rebuild again. We had one service this morning instead of two or three. And some of you have been in this building when we've had three packed services uh, for special events and stuff. But we're kind of going through a season of getting our traction and our footing and rebuilding. And one of the things that's super important for us is going back to the basics and trying to build community. Uh, You know, the first thing that happened when the Holy Spirit was poured out is community form. People met together in houses. They had meals together. They had fellowship with one another. Isolation is a tactic of the enemy. Let me say it again. We should never go back to the whole stay in your house and mask thing. Don't let anyone tell you to do that. (laughs) Okay? That is a tactic of the enemy. We need one another. We need relationship together. But, but we, we, we can't point the finger at the world if we don't leave it out as a church. And we really need to realize God help us connect, build relationship, 
and fellowship with one another because we can do so much more together. Uh, next Sunday, I'm going to start a new series uh, on the Sermon on the Mount. Actually, a few of us, we're going to do it as a team. We're going to study Matthew 3, no, 5, 6, and 7, three chapters. Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to do it together as a church on Sunday morning. And then we're inviting you to meet in small groups uh, during the week to go deeper and to do some dialogue with other believers. And obviously this is a process. We're in the midst of forming this in the life of our church. We've talked about it a little bit. Some of you have been a part of life groups in our church in the past. Some of you are just trying to find a life group where you fit in. But it's just an important part of our future together. And I ask if uh, Philip would come up uh, this morning. Philip is my Tychicus. He's my beloved brother and uh, faithful helper. And he's helping oversee uh, our life group ministry here in the church. And I just ask him if he'd share a little bit uh, about uh, his experience with life groups. Will you welcome him this morning? Thank you, Scott. This is a good word this morning, isn't it, so far? Well, I just want to share a few stories about the difference that small groups have made in my life. I believe they're a wonderful tool of God in our lives. One of the ways that they've made a huge difference for me is in helping me form connection with God. You know, we get to see and hear things on Sunday morning, but in small groups, I've gotten to hear people pray, to worship with people, to watch people go through hard things with God and watch how they rely on Him. Um, And I've gotten to experience God's love through people in small groups. Uh, I've been in small groups here in this church where, you know, we hear at church that God loves us at our worst and He forgives our sin, but it's hard for that to penetrate sometimes, the shame that we feel, until a person looks us in the eye when we tell them our worst And they receive us, they accept us, they love us, and they say, I'm not going anywhere. And I've experienced that in small groups here. And that has helped me to know and to rely on the love that God has in new and deeper ways. Um, In small groups, I've experienced a lot of friendship and a lot of support. And that has been such a blessing to me. Um, I've been a part of and, and led a small group here in our church for over three years. And We do a lot of things together. We celebrate each other's birthdays as small groups. We go camping together, play games together. I went to the coast with somebody in my small group recently. And it's just wonderful to have people to do those things with, rejoice with, laugh with. Um, And we support each other too. Ecclesiastes says that two is better than one. Because when one falls down alone, who will pick him up? Maybe some of you are like me and you think you can do things by yourself, and you'd prefer it that way sometimes. Well, that's great until you fall down and you can't get up. And I've been there, and it's no fun uh, unless there's people to pick you up. This summer, um, I went through a difficult few months where a lot of things that were disappointing happened at the same time. There was a divorce in my family. There was a... uh, an important ministry opportunity that fell through. There was a relationship I was in that also fell through. It was just a really hard time for me, disappointing time for me. Um, And when I was praying about, you know, the life group I was leading and what to do next with the group, the Lord encouraged me just to share all that with them. So that week at our life group, I just told them all about those things that were going on in my life and how disappointing they were. 
and how difficult it was for me um, as the leader. And my life group just rallied around me and prayed for me and encouraged me, and they've continued to support me and encourage me uh, over the last few months. That's the kind of thing you, you need sometimes. I need it. Uh, and even when things are good, we need support. Two people in my life group had babies recently, so we've gotten to take them meals, encourage them, help them however we can. Uh, I've been sharing the Lord with some of my coworkers, which is an up and down journey. Sometimes it's it's exciting, and sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's frustrating, and I don't seem to be making any progress. But my life group supports me in that. They encourage me in that. They pray for me and for my coworkers, and that's a blessing. And in life groups, uh, we grow. Uh, it's in life groups where I got my first chances to lead a Bible study, my first chance to lead worship for a small group. Um, in life groups, I've been called out to serve in new ways. Um, I have a young man, Ryan Carlson, in my group who, who lives a really joyful, and he shares the Lord a lot in his workplace, and he constantly challenges me to grow in those ways, to, be, to live joyful and to rejoice and to continue to share the Lord. Um, Amy and Brian Pizan in my small group often inspire me to be hospitable. They've been incredible hosts for our life group. And to be good stewards, just watching how they live, inspires me to honor the Lord with my time and my finances. And I could go on and on about the wonderful people that I've met and the ways that God has blessed me through life groups, but I just want to say uh, it's worthwhile. Try it. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up. Now, um, as we conclude, um, we are beginning to form uh, life groups. We've got, I don't know, 10 or 12 that are forming. Um, you may be interested in a life group. Do, do we have any of our life group leaders here in this service? I know there are probably some that are gone. Would you stand just so we could see you? Uh, some, you might know some of those people. You might have seen them around. Uh, here in the life of our church. Um, but we appreciate all of them. Looks like we have maybe about half or so. And so that's, that's awesome. But uh, there are more. And, uh, you know, you know people, can I just say something? People are like food. You like some, you don't like others. But you love us all. Amen. We love everyone, but finding a group where you fit is a little bit of a process. And, you know, maybe God's calling you to start a group. Some of you have been saved forever. And you know more Bible than anyone could ever live. And it's time to share it. Amen? It's time to share it. Maybe you need to start a group. Maybe you know three people, two people, one person. You don't need to be a Bible scholar to do a life group. Just be a normal person who loves Jesus and who cares about other people. And uh, we, we would love to help support you. Or if you need a little support or training or whatever, we'll help you do that. But um, it, this is going to be a process. Right now we've got 10 or 12. My prayer is by the end of the year we might have 30. That would be a great goal. 
Maybe we'd have 30 as we start moving this direction. So we're going to do a series for five weeks on the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, we're going to cover five weeks through the month of October. And then we're going to start another series. We're going to do a series on thankfulness for the month of November. We're going to talk about the great things the Lord has done in our lives and in our history. And we're going to work through Psalm 103 together. There's so many amazing things in that psalm. So we're going to give entry points and opportunities for you to plug in and get connected in relationship. After Christmas, we'll start some more. And we'll do another series. And of course, sometimes you have on your heart a specific thing. Maybe you're one of those who wants to teach the book of Revelation. Hallelujah. Bless you, brother or sister. And, uh, you know, that's great. Do it. We'll help you. We'll support you. Is there people in our church who want to study that with you? And we'll support you in doing that. That's amazing. And that's awesome. On the way out, if you're interested and you just would like to start a conversation about a life group and, and who maybe you could connect with to start with or there's some forms uh, on a little table out there or they're at the Welcome Center um, and so give us a little bit of information and we'll try to work with you to connect you. I just want to ask you as partners in the work, partners in the work, the work of reconciliation. God is reconciling the world through Christ and he's called us to the ministry of reconciliation. It's a work we must do. It's a work we must do together. That's what God has called us to. So thanks for, so much for allowing me to share. Let me pray and then why don't you stand and we'll, we'll worship here before we go. So Jesus, here this morning, thank you for your work on the cross. Lord, you declared when the work was finished, you declared it is finished. Lord, thank you for your work of salvation. Now, Lord, may we put our hands to the plow with you to continue the work until you come back for your church, your bride, Jesus. That's our prayer. Help us, Lord. We've got schedules that are challenging. Lord, we have kids and sports and just a limited amount of energy. We have a lot of things, but we need connection. And it might be with you and one other person just meeting for coffee during the day, but there's a connection that starts growing. There are organic ways for you if you ask Jesus to help you get connected. There are ways that you can connect with the body of Christ and live out the great commission to make disciples. Jesus, would you help us do that, Lord, through the power of the Holy Spirit? We thank you for hearing our prayers. In Jesus' name, can we all say amen together?